Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. It starts with a taste. Knowingly or unknowingly from a cursed creature who has decided to curse you too. You find yourself in love, obsessed, and soon living an existence of servitude. Ghoul's Fatal Addiction Servitude takes place in the Twin Cities of Minnesota during the winter of 1988 and tells the tale of Keith, played by Becca, Lewis, played by Joaquin, and Dennis, played by Slavic, as they are tasked to track down a missing ghoul and are exposed to the darkness that surrounds them. If you would like to reach us, you can find us on Twitter at twin underscore cities underscore VTM or on Facebook at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Ghoul's Fatal Addiction Servitude. Before we start, let's go ahead and get an introduction by our players and the characters that they will be playing. So first, we'll start with you, Quinn. Quinn, please tell us about your character and a little bit about his background. All right, I am playing Lewis Templeton, sort of a local uh, government figure in the Twin Cities. He is the uh, director of street maintenance, which basically means that he's you know, make sure the streets are potholes are filled in, sidewalks are usable, not you know falling apart, roads are cleared during the winter, stuff like that. So he is the ghoul of uh, Christopher Connor, the uh, Bruja primogen of the Twin, Twin Cities. Uh, tell us a little bit about what Lewis looks like. He's got graying hair. Like you can see, like there's like still some color left in it. He's got uh, sort of like sort of like, same thing with his like a thin beard, like a neatly kept beard, and he's got like a sort of a weak weakest chin that sort of like manages a bit too easily under his like, almost almost double chin. And primarily, when you see him, he sort of looks like this sort of calm but friendly authority figure. And and then, but most people don't realize is that he's sort of like a um, he likes likes to snoop and sneak around a little bit, just like he likes to be the one in charge of his own little section of the world. He likes to just be like friendly at first, but then it's like, oh, so tell me about that. Just likes to dig for information, but be friendly like that. Got you, got you. All right. And how about Becca? Becca, tell us about the character you're playing and what they look like and kind of their background. I am playing Keith Padwell, who is a business executive type of person. He works at Brentwood Industries and is very ambitious with what he wants to do with his career. He actually worked at Brentwood Industries for a couple years before being gold. He kind of came under the wing, so to speak, of Kenneth, one of the Ventru vampires within Twin Cities, and was shortly promoted to kind of an account executive position and has been a very important, integral part, as he would say, to Kenneth's business. He himself is... Short, cropped hair that's kind of a sandy, blonde color. He's got a rough beard, but usually it's pretty well shaven. He's kind of got a lithe build to him and dresses very professionally. And he also has recently been diagnosed with the HIV virus, too, and uh, towards like the beginning because the story takes place in 1988. So recently has been. And for those of you listening to... Kenneth is the venture primogen of the Twin Cities uh, of the Twin Cities of Minnesota. And also to add, Lewis is aware slightly somewhat of his nature that like in the nature of his dominer where 
where Keith is somewhat kind of in the dark exactly of what is going on. He just believes that he's in this romantic relationship with Kenneth and and isn't quite aware of like the true nature of Kenneth at that time. So Slavic, tell us a little bit about your character and in their background and what they look like. So the character that I'll be playing is Dennis Noble, and he's a sort of like artist slash photographer, rather artist photographer. You know, uh, he was like this up and coming, let's say, star in the city. And Lawrence Miller, the one of the Toreador harpies, took him under his wing and basically uh, sort of elevated him and gave him access to a lot of new venues and just basically made him famous you know he's never studied art he's never been to college or anything like that he was like straight like a kid from the street who learned all this stuff and basically got this opportunity so he's like a he's a pretty tall guy you know probably like has facial hair but not much you know the sort of model type of hair you'd see All right, so let's go ahead with the story here. It is October of 1988 in the Twin Cities of Minnesota, Minneapolis, and St. Paul. The skies have been gray for the last week, looking like the onset of winter is about to occur. This is usually kind of an uncomfortable time in the Twin Cities, meaning that snow seems to be about to fall. The sun barely ever cracks through during the day. And the moments that it does... It's just a brief tease of the season that just passed because soon is once again covered up by clouds and brings this gray umbrella over the city. It has snowed a couple times already, but nothing that really has forced plows to come about or has left its traces on the ground. But everyone who resides in the Twin Cities knows that that is about to happen, especially in the nights when the nights are crisp and breath can be seen as people walk down the sidewalks or walk into the protection of their homes. But at this night, one person is kept warm in a luxury penthouse, and that is Keith. Keith, you are sitting in this penthouse that is on one of the top floors of the Brentwood Industries headquarters. Through your relationship with Kenneth, which has been started off as one as a mentor and soon became one that was romantic, you soon realized that there were some penthouses that were in this building that a lot of the employees weren't aware of and that some people stay in these penthouses. Some people who control this company and the actions of this company without really being seen. And it's this weird conundrum that it puts you in, especially with your background and your education and business, that you know there's a board of directors for Brentwood Industries. But you soon figured out, especially once you became romantically involved with Kenneth, that they weren't really the ones who controlled it. They may make some decisions, some that are critical. But you know that decisions like that usually go through an approval process of a couple of people. You're not quite sure who all those people are, but you definitely know that Kenneth is one of them. And you know that Kenneth has been grooming you almost as if one day you two will be brought into this inner circle. And it almost scratches at that itch that you have to always be progressing in the company and to kind of gain influence. But you know that your relationship right now with Kenneth, while it may have started originally, as one to kind of like get your foot in the door and see what you can get from this old man. You soon realize that you were falling in love with them. Eventually about three or four months ago, you, you noticed yourself feeling ill. You noticed yourself having a cold that you couldn't quite get over. And you went to the hospital 
you didn't tell Kenneth, you didn't feel the no need to tell Kenneth. You thought you just needed antibiotics and, you know, you get rid of a respiratory infection or something to that extent. And when you got a blood test, you found that you were HIV positive at this time. And you remember the uncomfortable conversation you had with the doctor because in 1988, a lot of medical professionals were still getting familiar with the HIV virus. And you kind of had heard stories about in the gay culture, like in San Francisco and others, they have been hit hard by this. But in your mind, you never thought somewhere like the Minnesota would ever come to that. You thought at that time, because you were in the closet, that you know you would never have issues like that, that there weren't really open homo- homosexual communities at the time in the Twin Cities. But soon when you broke the news to Kenneth, you noticed a look of concern on Kenneth's face. But you also noticed, too, though, that it was more of a look of sorrow on his face. And he promised to be with you. And oftentimes, you know, when you guys first started your romantic relationship, he would go out to the city, you know, to the city with you. And he'd go out for dinners, late dinners with you, usually where the restaurants weren't as crowded as they usually were. Or go see musicals or go see things where there wouldn't be a lot of attention from people. But lately, especially for the last couple of months, you know, that Kenneth hasn't really wanted to leave the luxury of his penthouse. He has had what you guys have spent time together there, but the man who almost wanted to see to explore the Twin Cities with you and share his wisdom and his experiences that he had in life with you has seemed to become slowly introverted. But he tries to make that up to you. And this is like, and this leads to an evening like tonight where you find yourself sitting at this dinner table in this dining room of this penthouse. It's, it's very lightly lit. It's not dark, but it's definitely not bright light that is lighting up this room. There's a couple candles that are on this table. You're sitting at one end. You have a meal of salmon and some wild rice and maybe a glass of wine that is sitting there with you. And on the other, where you can gently make him out in the dim light, he sits on the other end of this table staring at you. He's a man who looks to be about in his late 50s, maybe early to mid 60s. He has silver hair that is cut close. And and none of it, it's almost methodical in its nature, meaning no stray hairs touch his ears. It's combed almost perfectly with the gentleman part. And he has his trimmed, thick, white mustache that not a single hair touches his upper lip, but it's full and, and almost like a part of his skin. You could never picture him ever shaving that off. And he's wearing a white button-up dress shirt. He doesn't have a jacket on. And he's just staring at you through the light that these two candles are providing and you see his eyes when he looks at you. It's almost like what a boy would have in the look of a animal, a pet that he knows is ill. Not that he's dehumanizing you, but you notice that since you broke the news to him four months ago, he seems constantly sorrowful, but you almost get the sense there's something else too that is on his mind. And when you finish with your meal, he stands up from the end of the table and he's like, Keith, come with me. And he like walks into the living room where you can hear the gentle music coming from a record player within. There's no TV in this living room. There's just a leather couch and leather love seats with bookshelves. And there's like a map, like an old map that is like framed on the wall. You see a globe, handmade globe that sits next to one of the bookshelves. And you see this huge picture window that overlooks the Twin Cities. And you can see Kenneth is... His back is facing you and he's looking down and he has his hands behind his small of his back as he's pondering outside. And he takes one of his hands from behind his back and he like 
extends it to you as if he wants you to take his hand. With my attention completely on him, I reach out for the hands that he extends. As you take his hand, he kind of pulls you next to him, and then he gently puts both hands on your shoulders and moves you in front of him so you can see the city as he stands behind you. And you can see a slight reflection of him from this, from the glass of the window. And you, you, you hear for a second as you both just simply are looking out the window, you hear this almost like a gentle sobbing coming from him a little bit. And you look up into through the glass, but to see a reflection of him. And you see almost it looks like tears coming down his eyes. But for some reason, you, you think the shadows might be playing tricks with your eyes and the reflection because they look slightly dark. And there's a moment where he's looking directly at you through this reflection. Like you have a moment of eye contact and you see that sorrow in his eyes. But then all of a sudden you see it replaced with this cold resolve. And this is the Kenneth that you first met when you see that cold resolve come across his face. One of determination. You have picked up through your conversations with Ken, and he's never quite given you details really about his past or his history before he got into business. But you always picked up these facts that he probably had a military background. You've done the math in your head, you know, trying to figure it out. And you're thinking either it could be probably like the Korean era or the Vietnam, even though he's never spoke of any country, he's never spoke of any time period. But the way that he has spoken about lessons that he has learned or how he conducts himself when you see him rarely dealing with other people in Brentwood Industries, or how he even dealt with you when you first met him. Because you know, just like you, Kenneth is closeted. He's not open about his homosexuality. And you almost get that sense that he has feel that has made him stronger almost and be able to deal with people more. And you see that that when that look crosses his face, when his when that resolve comes onto his face, you realize that a gear has shifted in Ken's head. You know that that moment. Not that it's one of cruelty, but you know that he realized he showed his true self and you know that he sometimes thinks that he he view, he views him showing a true uh, piece of himself like that is weakness. Even when you guys have gone out, when you guys were going out to the city and he was sharing experiences with you, when you went out with him, it was almost like uh, he treated you like a brother at that time rather than a lover because that is just how he was used to being in public. And the moment where you, that resolve crosses his face, he quickly turns around and he goes into his bedroom and closes the door and you're left there by yourself while you're standing there by yourself what is going on in your mind my mind is currently racing trying to figure out all the different changes that have been going on recently between the two of us and i stand exactly where he left me staring out into the night watching the city just be what it is being calmed by its presence and some kind of certainty that I know that's going on while inside I have a emotional turmoil going on, but trying to keep a lid on it myself. Understood. So as you are staying there for about five minutes, you see the door open again and Kenneth comes walking out. And this time he's not wearing the same white shirt. He's wearing a smoking jacket over you can imagine maybe as a white undershirt or something like that but he's not wearing that button-up shirt anymore and you see he does have that brisk sense of determination and resolve that you use you know when you see kenneth like this that that he's not feeling the role of a lover right now that he's feeling the role of a mentor or a boss or someone who's about to talk to you about something that is what he deems and he has said in his own words as serious because to him love and affection are foolish comforts that and impulses and and that's how he looks at him when he does that 
So he motions for you to sit down at the couch, the leather couch, and there's a coffee table that's in front of the couch. And then he goes up to the the bar stand. He has one of those like little trays, alcohol trays that people back then used to have, not a bar, but kind of like a tray that had different bottles. And he gets this this glass and he pours some brandy and he just kind of like puts it on a coaster in front of you on the coffee table. And he goes and sits at the love chair, the leather love chair. That's about five feet from you. And he puts a manila folder and he opens it up in front of you and he kind of slides it to you. And you see that there's a face of a man that is on there. It's a, it's a corporate picture. It's a, you can see like, it's from like the mid chest up and you see there's like this, like a blue suit jacket and like this nice, like red and silver pinstripe tie that goes down. You see like a white shirt that is underneath it. And you see like this charming smile, perfect white teeth, almost like a tanning bed tan. And you see it has like black hair that's parted on the side, kind of feathered slightly a little bit. And you, you kind of recognize this person for, for a moment. You know that this is Dustin Edwards and you realize that he's an employee of Brentwood Industries. And you know that he works, he's the head of mergers and acquisitions for Brentwood Industries. And you hear, as you're looking at the picture, you hear the leather creak and move as, as Kenneth sits down in his love seat. And he says, Keith, I've done my best to help you out with your condition. I've been giving you those tonics that I feel will help you out. I've been in talks with some people and I see an opportunity to where I could get you in a position where your illness will no longer be of anything of importance, but for you to be under consideration of that and the people who would give me the permission to bestow it upon you, I would need you to do something to make these people happy. That man that you see down there and he motions to the picture with his hand, his fingers almost like you get excited for a second when his fingers extend, but then you see that they simply just motion to the picture that's laying on the coffee table. That man works for someone that holds a very valuable position for the company, just like I do. And he has been missing now for about three weeks. We want this handled delicately. And thus that is why the authorities have not been notified of this. Tomorrow morning, you are going to meet two people who work for companions of mine, people I interact with. And you and these two people are going to be needed to look into what happened to Dustin. You have to understand though, Keith, you will be the one who is spearheading this and thus conduct yourself that way. When you're done and you find out what happened to Dustin, hopefully we can take care of this business that involves you. And then you see as you're, you see him reach into the pocket of a smoking jacket and you see him toss a key that is on a keychain. This is for Dustin's apartment. He had an apartment in that newly built Ellsworth Towers that was built last year, apartment number 209. I suggest you start there after you meet these other two individuals tomorrow morning. You have a lunch, or excuse me, you have a breakfast reservation tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. at the Hawthorne Country Club for you and these two other people. Their names are Lewis and Dennis. Please take care of this in a timely manner, not for resolution of this, but so we can help you out. Do you understand, Keith? Keith will look at the picture and look over the key, contemplating and internalizing what Kenneth just told him. Yes, I understand. That's good. I'm glad. And you see that he gets up and he walks towards his bedroom door again and he opens it. And then there's a moment he turns around and looks at you 
and he motions for you to follow as he walks into the bedroom. Next, we will cut to Dennis. Dennis, it's a Friday night. You're at this nightclub. It is packed full of people. Electronic music is blaring through these speakers. You hear the Depeche Mode as you see bodies all on this dance floor are dancing in front of you. But it's hard for you to pay attention to these bodies because right now you are sitting in the VIP section. It's almost like the a little raised floor section, but it's right by the dance floor, but it's roped off. And you're at this round table and you're sitting by yourself with Lawrence. You see Lawrence as you look at him. You see him. He's African-American and he has a cleanly shaved head. He's not dressed in his normal three-piece suit business type that you see. You actually see somewhat relaxed right now. You see he has like a polo shirt on and he has the top two buttons that are unbuttoned. And you see that he's not even paying you any attention. I mean, you're looking at him and you see his face and you see him intently with a small smirk on his face looking out at the dance floor. And as you follow his eyes onto the dance floor, you see he's looking at this woman. She's wearing this red mini skirt and a loose black blouse over it. She has like olive colored skin and middle to her background hair. And you see her dancing and flowing with this music. And you see that like, as you're looking at the dance floor, you see almost like predator sharks or predator fish and bait that has been thrown in the water. They are slowly making their way towards her. And you look back at Lawrence and you see him smirking again. And you see for a second, Lawrence almost like feels someone's looking at him and he looks at you and he's like, what are you looking at? Well, I thought we were supposed to meet here. I got your message. Yeah. Again, you're not answering me. What? Why are you looking at me that way? What way? That pathetic look you have sometimes when you look at me. Oh, come on, Lawrence. You see me looking at her, don't you? Yeah. Poor girl don't, won't know what hit her. Yeah, you could say that's one way of putting it, but not in the way that you think. You know, I wanted her. I didn't want you at first. She was going to be the one that I was going to take under my wing. She's beautiful, isn't she? I sort of look at her and say, she's okay. Oh, is that jealousy creeping in? I hear that. Maybe a little. A little. Don't worry, though. She's already been claimed. Her name is Ophelia. I guess she's some hot piano player in here, but you see that one over there and you see him motion a finger to along the wall and you see this lady with blonde hair that goes down to like her, her middle of her neck that kind of like curls at the end. You can't really make out what she's wearing, but you see her staring at Ophelia too, almost with this predatory look. She's been claimed by that one. Not in the way that you are to me and your pathetic nature. And, ugh, her and Elaine, they're real companions. I'm envious of them. Yeah, good for them. I wish I had someone I could, you know, call a companion, but mm, maybe there's hope for you. And you see for a second, he's looking out there and he's like, why don't you go dance? Why why are you so, why do you always follow me around like this? What do you hope to gain? Have I not done enough for you? I wanted to tell you about this new project I've been. I don't care. I don't care. Tell me when you're done. You always say you don't care, but then I show you the pictures. And and they're good, but I don't give a sh- I don't care what leads up to them. I simply <sighs> have bestowed upon you, Dennis, what I have because of what you do, not who you are. And that bothers me. That bothers me, the fact that I may have to w- waste one favor I can get to somehow save the work that you do. And still, you cannot find 
any way to make yourself any less unbearable than you already are with your pathetic staring. Look at her. She's free. She doesn't ask anything of anyone. She has taken what life has given her and she continues to make something of it. Or you had to be given the opportunity that you have. But don't worry. I'm sure everyone out there who sees your work doesn't know what you really like. Maybe you can get something from them, right? Maybe you can get this adoration and this acceptance that you feel that you constantly need from them, right? Go get yourself a woman. Go get yourself a man. I don't care what you need, but quit staring at me the way that you do because I know what you really want, right, Dennis? Oh, come on, Lawrence. There's no need to be so harsh. I do have some films right now for you. And you're going to show you're me? with me? Oh, do you? And what am I going to do? Am I going to leave this wonderful place to simply look at some films? Well, I thought you might, you know, want to look at them and see what they're all about. Listen, I called you here for something else. What do you mean? Well, I do find you pathetic at times. I do think that you show potential. You show potential maybe to one day, maybe one day, be like me in a very minute way really yes yes you you maybe 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 i don't know i don't know i change my mind daily sometimes you show that you're you change and that you can learn and then other days you come across like this i don't know i i don't know but maybe and out of character you obviously we talked about this before when we were doing character creations for this you obviously know quote unquote no that there's something about Lawrence, but you don't like no capital N yeah. about everything that goes around. There is actually something that Dennis wanted to talk to him about, which lately when he's been looking at people, he's been seeing these colors and shapes and he feels like they mean something. And, you know, he's been incorporating it, edi- editing it into this, this new batch of photos that he's been creating. Oh, very nice. I'll be interesting to play out. So, you have shown in somewhat of a way that maybe you might have potential. But to do that and how things work, just like the real world and just like our relationship, I have to show something to get something. And it seems like someone in very important position in this community of mine has been, well, their pet's gone missing. Someone very close to them has gone missing. And I'm going to need you, Dennis. To help them out. Now, if you could do it without being so pathetic, and if you could do it with what I think I see in you, and you do a good job, Dennis, I could be giving you a gift. Really? What? Yes. Oh, yes. So who's, who's this guy or well, person? So the person who's missing, his name is Dustin. And he's a very close object of a friend of mine named Philip. And he's missing. And it seems like one other friend of Phillips, a gentleman that, frankly, I find to be crass and a stick in the mud named Kenneth, is going to have one of his little pets try to find Phillips' lost pet. And what you're going to do is you're going to help. So tomorrow morning, you're going to get your lazy ass up at 9 a.m. And you're going to go and have breakfast with someone named Keith. Keith, you, and someone named Lewis. Ugh. What kind of name is that? Someone named Lewis is going to help find Dustin. And when you three are done, I'm going to go to 
Philip, and I'm going to say, my pet helped find your pet. Give me permission to make my Dennis special. How does that sound to you, Dennis? Do you think you deserve that? Yeah, sure. Of course. Why do you think you deserve that? Well, I mean, haven't I been giving you the best pictures? I've, I've, I've become so much better, you know? I've been in the newspaper. I've been in the local news. Yeah, yeah. You've gotten a name for yourself, and you've done very well, and you haven't mentioned me like I've asked you to, and that's good. But you still run around my ankles like a little puppy, wanting me to bestow treats upon you and to pet you until you've done a good job, haven't you, Dennis? You've done a good job, boy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you have. I suppose you want a treat, don't you, Dennis? Yeah, I think I'll just grab a bunch of shots. Oh, no. No, you want the shot, don't you, Dennis? Are you thirsty, Dennis? Yeah. And then you see, like... Let's go. Oh, no. No, Dennis. No, no. We're going to do it right here. Right? You want to live dangerously, Dennis? Hell yeah. All right. And you see Lawrence takes his arm and he puts it, like, kind of like where people won't see it behind the table between you and him, where there's, like, a person on this plush, like, red leather couch you see he takes like a nail and he just like kind of like crosses it across his cuts it across his wrist and you see like there's a moment where like as soon as it starts welting like the blood starts welting a little bit you see lawrence he's like now here take it yeah so dennis uh, is his hand like still behind like yeah it's like between it's like it's like to where if you were to latch onto it like no one would see you because you kind of be like under the table you know what yeah I mean? yeah so yeah, uh, Dennis is going to go on his knees and uh, suck his blood. There's a moment where you are overwhelmed with the euphoria of feelings. And it's almost like all the abuse that you take from him and all the verbal abuse that you take from him, meaning, and all the, like, I mean, you are a man of fame right now, out of character. Your, your character has two dots in fame. You easily... Three dots, actually. <laughs> oh, excuse me, three dots of fame. You easily could, easily could leave this club... Go to some college bar, have some college girls or boys, whatever you prefer, see you, and you could easily use your fame to have a lot of them, right? But here you are scurrying to someone, and you don't even know the status of this person has. I mean, in reality, in the scheme of things, you are a more influential person in the world than this person is. But from this person, you know there comes power. And right now, you are at the fount of that power, and you are taking that. And there's a moment where you lose yourself. Until finally you feel your head like bang against the table and you realize that he need you on your chin. And he's like, get out from underneath there. And it's almost like you still are feeling that euphoric like feeling, like your your hair is rising up on your forearms. You're feeling inspired. Not only are you feeling physically like you can amount to anything you want to, you're feeling mentally. And when you come back onto the chair, he looks at you and he's like, what did you want to speak about, Dennis? Tell me. Well, he sort of grabs a bunch of pictures that he has and, you know, he's edited in his dark room. And he just sort of, you know, changed the color composition, made it, made the person sort of seem sort of shifting, you know, and it's just the way he sees the auras, you know, and everything about them. And he's very good at it. He's always very visually focused, you know, and being a ghoul of a Toreador with his aspects. Now it's like absolutely amazing he just shows them lately when i've been really really looking at people i feel like i know what what they want to be what they are and 
and it's it's just I feel like I know them without even talking to them or anything. And you know, I've I've been creating these pictures out of it. There's a moment while you're talking, right? And you realize you're not being interrupted, which is like you know, a good feeling. Like you're speaking about your passion and 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 he's not stopping you. He's not throwing in a wise crack. He's not insulting you and you're going and you're going and you stop and you look at him and you just see him holding a picture and he's almost like staring at it and his lips are slightly parted. And you look at him and he's not moving. He's just like staring at this picture. And you've seen him like this before. Matter of fact, you kind of notice this eccentric behavior from him when he first met you. And there's almost like a, a, a moment where you realize that you are truly successful right now when you see him lost in this picture that you took. And you sit back and you see him. And about 20 minutes or 30 minutes goes by and he's just still holding this picture, staring at it, elbows resting on the table. And then you start slowly seeing where he's slowly like putting the picture down and he closes his eyes and he opens them and he looks at you and he's like, you have done well, Dennis. You really have done well. Go do what I need you to do. I will get you the gift if you are successful. And he just slowly like puts the pictures back into the envelope and just slides them over. And then you see him just slowly stare out into the crowd. And you know, with your interactions, having dealt with Lawrence, that this is usually a time to leave. You have found when you've tried to like impede upon him after he kind of gives you a bon voyage in a way that that's usually when he becomes even more abrasive, more mean spirited. What is going on in your head at this moment? Yeah, partly, you know, normal, normal, uh, in quotes, uh, sort of conversation with Lawrence, but also. It's this about a job, you know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not an errand boy. Like, do you, do you want me to find people like hire a PI, a PI or whatever? But it's Lawrence, right? Yeah, it's Lawrence, so he's got to do it. Exactly. All right. So, Lewis, you know, on Friday nights that once a month, you and Christopher always have a talk. It's always at this bookstore that he owns. This hole-in-the-wall used bookstore where you walk in and there's like a bell that rings. They even have the sign that flips from open to close. You, When you walk in there, you see there's like four rows of bookshelves that go. Books are stacked on top of the bookshelf. Books are within there. You've never really tried to see if they're in any kind of order. You see there's like little handwritten placards that are put to identify which is where. You see books that are stacked on the floor that haven't been put away. You smell the smell of slight smell of moldew, but not in an overpowering, nauseating way, but almost in a way of history. You smell the smoke of a pipe that has lingered and embedded into the carpet, the green carpet that is on the floor. You smell history and you smell almost something you tie to wisdom because you know that you and Christopher have had a relationship for almost about five years now. And when you have had these talks with Christopher, it has been almost one of a mentor, one of to show you your true potential. It's almost like a empowering, not only for the reward that you get when you come to speak to him, but almost like the wisdom that you get from him. And as you walk down one of these rows, you come upon the, the register that is on top of like a little desk that's like you know i don't know the desk but a counter that is on there and you see that there is some young college student 
who's just like sitting on a chair behind there and she looks up at you and you see like next to you see those books that are stacked behind her they have like little rubber bands around a piece of paper with a rubber band keeping it there like has a name on there like someone had ordered a book you know for them to pick up and you see to the right of the counter there's like a push-in double door like a little kind of like the bars and the westerners used to have and you know that there's a door behind that that leads to the back employees only area and she is been working at this place for a couple of years and she knows when you come in you walk back there and she just kind of like goes back to looking down at her book and reading her book it's some rubbish book you can tell you you recognize the name the like Herschel buckman or something to that extent some 19th century magic with a k hubbub you just kind of roll your eyes as you walk past the counter into the back area you open this wooden door that's in there and you open you come upon an area that has more books <laughs> and you're like, and they're just more stacked in cartons and kind of like they haven't been processed yet. They've probably been bought at estate sales or been bought at other areas, but you see there's this like kind of like a round pinochle table, you know, like that's just been sat there. There's nothing fancy. And you see that there's chairs sitting there and then you see there's an office to the right. And you know, that's Christopher's office and you hear a voice coming from the office. It's like, Lewis, let's talk. And that is something that has brought you joy for like the last five years whenever you hear that. And you make your way towards the office and there's this wooden desk in there. Nothing fancy, somewhat older, not like a classic antique or anything like that. And there's a lamp and then there is Christopher sitting behind the desk. He has blue jeans on, has a tan sweater on with a corduroy jacket over it, corduroy sports jacket. When you first met Christopher... Before you became as close as you are now, you were off put by the scar tissue that was on the right side of his face. Almost looks like he was a burn victim. You see like his heel is kind of like stretched out a little bit on the cheeks, on the side, on his lip. It kind of slopes down a little bit. And you see this carrot red hair that's cut neatly to a conservative style that was probably popular like in the 50s. And you see he has these really piercing blue eyes. Any motions for you to sit down? I always look forward to this day, every time. Do you, Lewis? So do I. I like the friendship that we have. It's just, it's so nice to talk to someone and just, you know what I mean? Yeah, I understand. It's hard to be a public servant. Uh, I do try. It's every t- every winter, people always go on like, why, why don't you fix the whole... As if I personally drive the snowplows. They don't understand leadership. They don't understand that it's hard to be accountable for a lot of moving parts. Yep. Yep. But I was told by a friend of mine a long time ago that if people aren't complaining, then something's wrong. So, <laughs> that is that is true. That is so true. The thing that we have to learn as men who wish not only to serve, but to better ourselves, Lewis, is to listen to that complaining. Because oftentimes there are things that people say, and then there are things that people mean. Mm-hmm. You're an intuitive person, Lewis. I like to think so. And at times, I believe you know my nature. And I think I've hinted enough at times there are others like me. And there are some people of my nature who think power resides in other areas, such as marketplaces and such as economy. Oh, please. If I had, trust me, I, if I had to hear one more lecture from, from Wall Street wannabe at a dinner, oh. Yeah, right? It's 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 a weird conundrum that our city is in, right? So we're up here in the north. 
We're up here in the cold. And for some reason, this area attracts these companies. And thus, people of my nature have felt the need that to grow, to gain influence, that those companies are the way to do it. But those people forget that it's not those companies that the land resides on, that the real people of this area embed and depend upon. It is the public servant. It is the government. It is the people who make this land welcome to these companies. And in their naiveness and overlooking of such things, I thankfully have been able to influence in a positive way people like you. And there are others. And don't be jealous. But, but there are others. Please. I'm not, as much as I love our conversations, I know. you can't. I can't be the only person you talk to, much as I wish. But I understand. Definitely. But you have shown the potential of... Of all of them, you have the most. I will tell you that. Thank you. Oh, you should thank yourself. You should definitely thank yourself. Here's the thing. I think you're capable of being much more. I really do. And it's time to show it. I need a a favor from you, Lewis. One of those who share a similar nature as I, one of those who depend on economy rather than government, has someone who represents them who is missing. Yes. And someone from their bourgeoisie class, someone who works for them, is leading an effort to find this person. Now, I think you have pieced together that, in my nature, things need to be handled discreetly. And thus, these people have decided not to involve law enforcement to find this person because, you know, we don't want... Yeah, yeah, talk to too many many people gossiping. I should know. Exactly, right? But we I need you to help out these two people. So tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., you're gonna go have a breakfast at the Hawthorne Country Club. And you're gonna meet an individual named Keith and Dennis. Mm. And you're gonna find this missing person. Their name is Dustin Edwards. Dustin Edwards. Once it is done, and once you find out what happened to them, I think it's time to elevate your status. Really? Yes, it is. And I think that I think that warrants a drink, don't you? Oh, oh yes, oh, yes, please. You always make the best drinks. Yes, yes, yes. I do, don't I? And you see him like he takes like two crystal glasses out and he puts them on the desk. You hear like the them like clack on the wood, and you see him open a drawer and he pulls out this bottle decanter of amber liquid. You assume it's whiskey. You know, it has that look. It stings sometimes when you put it in amongst other things. And you see he slowly pours a cup. And there's almost like a you're leaning forward on the desk as he pours a little bit into a cup. It's about an inch. Would you like some ice? Oh, no, no, no. Like I, I prefer my eyes straight up. Ice yeah. just ruins the taste, I feel. Yes. And he slowly, like, pushes it forward. It almost seems like an eternity as his finger is pushing it closer and closer. And you hear it sliding along the wood. And he puts his hand back. He's like, go ahead. Have some. All right. And so he, like consciously to make sure Justin Jill just throw it back he like reaches and like takes a sip well even though he wants to just throw his whole thing back you take that first sip you feel like that burning sensation in your chest but then just explodes throughout your mind your head and your soul and there's a second where you think your eyes are open but you realize your eyes are closed and you open it and you see the cup and like a smile breaks your lips and you see you still have like a good like two sips left to it Yes, you always have to savor things in life. Always savor them. It's, people always, especially all these Wall Street, oh, just always, 
Uh, they don't know how to sa- savor a good good drink. They're always throwing things back. Have you seen? Uh, you, I don't understand those people. <laughs> and you see when you're talking like that, and you're just kind of like, you know what I mean? Trying to talk and show control. He's looking at you curiously. Like almost like a, a, a scientist is looking at an experiment. He's just like looking at it. It's like you almost, you know, through your interactions with Christopher through the last five years, there's moments where you feel like he's testing you, you know, and where he's like, always being evaluated and you i like that how you point out a character i like how you point out that you're like really trying to show restraint while you're drinking this you know even though you know it's bringing out this euphoric feeling in you and you see this you see a smirk a little bit on the edge of his lips while he's looking at you but he's just sitting there patiently letting you talk while you do your thing so yeah, uh, say so, yeah, Lewis would just you know, like you know blabber on about you know gossip and work and that one time he went uh, out to tennis with the guy and he like takes to slowly save with those sips. And you do that. It's almost like a, a session with a psychiatrist. I could imagine like sitting on the couch, you know, and you're just kind of and he's just listening. He's just listening, and he's once in a while will say something, and then once you're done, he'll like take the glass. And you'll like open the drawer and put his glass in there and he'll close it and he'll be like stand up and extend his hand. He's like, it was nice talking to you, Lewis, as always. And as always, I love talking to you. And he shakes his hand. And don't forget your appointment tomorrow. Don't be late. Oh, I won't. And you slowly walk out into the evening. Oh, hello again, folks. I'd like to tell you about the Facebook group we run called White Wolf and Onyx Path RPGs Gameplay and Media. Have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts, or just media in general, that deals with your favorite White Wolf role-playing games? Or have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded? One that won't be drowned out by random posts and discussions, so that your media could get the attention you deserve. The group is specifically run with the sole intent of it being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. The group is already immense and continuing to rapidly grow, with new media being shared every day. Stop on by, we hope to see you there.